Welcome to Congo Chronicles, From Chaos to a Nation, the podcast that unravels the riveting tales of the Democratic Republic of Congo's journey towards nationhood. I'm your host, and in each episode, we embark on a layback exploration of the rich and tumultuous history that has shaped the heart of Africa. Join me as we navigate through stories of betrayal, wars, manipulation, greed, violence, and patriotism. The intricate threads that weave the tapestry of the Congo's nation-building process. In this series, we peel back the layers of history, revealing the resilience and spirit that defines the Congolese people. From the echoes of wars to the whispers of patriotism, Congo Chronicles is more than a podcast. It's a voyage through time, exploring the triumphs and tribulations that have molded the Congolese nation as we know it today. So grab a seat, relax, and let's dive into the fascinating narrative of the Congo. This is Congo Chronicles from Chaos to a Nation. Episode 1. A Traitor Has No Home. On the 16th of January 2001, Laurent Désiré Kabila, the third president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, was found dead in his office residence. Mouzet, as he is often called, only served for three years from 1997 to 2001 before he was assassinated by one of his child soldiers. But long before that, he was a rebel leader for more than 30 years. He started his rebel career as an anti-secessionist by opposing Moise Chombe's attempt to secede Katanga from the rest of the country. Supported by Belgian multinationals, Chombe created the Republic of Katanga. While the secession eventually failed, it was not before it led to the death of Patrice Emery Lumumba, the father of Congolese independence. The legacy of this failed secession continues to reverberate to this day, with some flaunting the secessionist flag during the 2023 elections. Back then, Kabila created his first rebel group with the young Baluba of Katanga, and captured Monono to reunite it with the larger republic, but could not hold on to it for long. It was recaptured by the secessionist state, then eventually by the Congolese government when they finally crushed the secession for good. For his support in fighting the secession, in September 1962, Kabila became a member of the provincial assembly of the newly established province of North Katanga, called Tanganyika today, and served as chief of staff for Ferdinand Tumba, then Minister of Information. But just a year after, he and other young members of the assembly were forced to resign on allegations of being communist sympathizers, collateral damage of the Cold War. Revolted by the assassination of nationalist heroes, Kabila and various other Lumumbists decided to launch a second rebellion, this time against Mobutu's regime, known as the Simba Rebellion. Kabila was sent to the Eastern Congo and North Katanga province to help with organizing the rebellion. In 1965, he set up a cross-border rebel operation from Kigoma, Tanzania, across Lake Tanganyika. The same year in April, he met Che Guevara, who was in Congo with 100 Cuban men to help overthrow the Congolese government. Che, then meeting 26-year-old Kabila, said that he was too distracted and his men were poorly trained and not disciplined. According to him, Kabila wasn't the man of the hour. Kabila spent most of his time at local bars and brothels rather than training his men or fighting the government. His lack of discipline ended the cooperation with Che Guevara and led to the revolt suppression in November of the same year. After that, 
Kabila ran a bar and brothel in Kigoma and smuggled gold and timber for a living. Che Guevara once said that of all the people he met during his campaign in Congo, only Kabila had genuine qualities of a mass leader, but he lacked revolutionary seriousness. And Che was not wrong about him. After the Simba revolution failed in 1967, Kabila and the rest of his supporters moved their operation to eastern Congo and founded the People's Revolutionary Party, PRP, with China's support. But this time was different. In an ironic twist of fate, the PRP decided to create a secessionist Marxist state in South Kivu. As Nietzsche put it succinctly, Battle not with monsters, lest ye become a monster, and if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Kabila, possessed by an absolute desire for power, became the very secessionist monster he once fought. During this 20-year stunt in eastern Congo, Kabila lived among the Bembe tribe. His rebel group exploited them through forced labor in gold extraction, and many reports stated that he would have his enemies and rivals burned at the stake. The Bembe people warned that Kabila was a traitor, a killer, and a thief who has about as much intention of bringing democracy to Zaire as did Mobutu. They never saw him as a liberator, but as a dictator worse than Mobutu. Kabila wrote the playbook on how to betray and exploit the Congo. Many of the tactics he once used are today the very foundation of tactics of exploitation deployed in eastern Congo by various rebel and terrorist groups. This rebellion lasted until 1988, when they were crushed by the Congolese government and Kabila disappeared. Kabila was believed to be dead, but it was only the beginning for him. He was about to make the biggest mistake of his life, one that would cost him his own life and that of more than 10 million people in the Congo. From all his failed rebellion, Kabila learned valuable lessons, which came in handy in his final act of high treason. First was the importance of networking. At various stages of his life, Kabila built a network that led him to a friendship with Julius Nyerere, then president of Tanzania. The latter introduced him to two actors who would turn out to be the architects of instability in the Great Lakes region, namely Yoweri Museveni and Paul Kagame. Museveni, Kagame and Kabila's newly formed axis of evil in a domino fashion set out to take over power in their respective countries. First, Museveni's coup in Uganda installed him as a dictator for life, then Museveni assisted Kagame in becoming dictator for life in Rwanda, following a manufactured genocide against Tutsi by the very people who claimed to have saved the victims of this genocide. Once both were established, they turned their eyes toward the Congo, the last domino in their mission to destabilize the region. That is when the relationship built years ago with their puppet Kabila came in handy. Kagame's intention, so he claimed, was to dismantle the Rwandese refugee camp in the DRC, which allegedly threatened his regime, but going at it directly would be seen as an invasion by the international community. As such, in a Trojan horse operation and under the guise of liberating Congolese people, the Alliance of Democratic Forces for the Liberation of Congo, AFDL, was birthed by Rwanda and Uganda, and Kabila was placed as the Congolese facade and face of this terrorist organization to give them credibility. This was the beginning of what is known today as the First Congo War. By 1997, the axis of evil overran the country as Mobutu's forces put up no fight. By the 16th of May, Mobutu fled into exile, and the day after, Kabila consumed the act of his treason by declaring himself the new president. 
On the 20th of May, Kabila marched into the capital city and later that month was officially sworn in as president. During his nearly four years in power, Kabila regularly and ruthlessly violated the human rights of the Congolese people, killing, torturing, imprisoning and causing the disappearance of anyone he thought threatened him or his regime. The majority of people saw the AFDL not as the liberator as they claimed to be, but rather as an occupation force due to the clear string being pulled from Rwanda and Uganda. Their lack of popularity was evident. As the AFDL captured one town after another, it also adopted a form of populist democracy. It organised direct elections where people assembled and selected candidates with raised hands and voted for mayors and town leaders. While this was done to legitimise the AFDL invasion, it resulted in several members of the UDPS, the Democratic Opposition Party, or civil society leaders, being elected in those positions. Promptly, the experiment was ended, as it did not help the AFDL invasion. In 1997, the UN Secretary-General sent a team to investigate war crimes committed by all parties during the First Congo War. Kabila blocked their work, but the investigators returned with enough information to conclude that combatants in the First Congo War had committed crimes against humanity and perhaps genocide. But the highest symbol that cemented Kabila's reputation as a traitor came when he named James Kabarebe to be the chief of staff of the Congolese army, despite Kabarebe being Rwandan, as well as placing various other Rwandans in key governance posts in the Congolese government. But fate had it. Kabila's double-faced nature emerged again as he betrayed his axis of evil allies in an attempt to legitimise his image with the Congolese people. But a traitor has no home. Kabila's former allies turned against him and backed a new rebellion of the Rally for Congolese Democracy, RCD, to overthrow him, kick-starting the Second Congo War. Ultimately, he paid the price for his betrayal. On January 16, 2001, in a death fit for a traitor, Kabila was shot in his office by his bodyguards. In the words of Harvey Dent in Batman, The Dark Knight. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Ultimately, Kabila's legacy in the Congo is not one of a liberator, but of a traitor. His lack of revolutionary seriousness and discipline made him desperate for power at any cost. Laurent Désiré Kabila was so desperate for power that he sold his country, his people and his soul. And the price for that? His life and that of more than 10 million people. Kabila's tale is a typical one that could be summarized as power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. This should be a warning for those seeking to follow his path, such as Cornet Nanga. A traitor has no home. Commemorating January 16th and May 17th is an insult to the memory of the millions who died or were exploited following Kabila's betrayal. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Congo Chronicles, From Chaos to a Nation. If you've enjoyed our journey through the rich history of the Democratic Republic of Congo, don't miss out on future episodes. To stay connected and ensure you never miss a captivating story, make sure to subscribe to Congo Chronicles on your favourite podcast platform. Your support means the world to us, and subscribing is the best way to show it. For an even deeper dive into the Congo's history and to stay updated on our latest episodes, visit our website at www.article15.cd. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and stay informed about all things Congo Chronicles. If you have a moment, we'd also appreciate it if you could leave a review and share your thoughts. Your feedback helps us continue bringing you the stories that matter. 
So until next time, we are signing off. Subscribe, stay tuned, and let the chronicles of Congo continue to unfold.